0: tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre, and remember, you can follow us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. You can find us on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada and members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Well, Mike, the first Grand Slam of the tennis season finally here, and action has begun down under as the top men's and women's players are competing at the Australian Open, and as usual, It feels like a compelling draw on really both sides.
1: Yeah, we've got 127 players who are going to try and dethrone defending champions Novak Djokovic and Naomi Osaka in the men's and women's draws. In terms of our Canadian contingent, we've got four entries in the men's and one in the women's singles draw, as well as good chances in doubles too.
0: Obviously, it's the first Grand Slam of the season, Mike, but in terms of, I guess, like the overall scope of the tennis year, Australian Open, where does it rank maybe for you just as as a tennis fan watching? You know what's funny for me is it's kind of done a, a
1: total flip As I've grown up, because when I was a kid, the Aussie Open was probably the least important slam to me. Okay. Like there was no way I was going to be up at 2 in the morning watching (laughs) tennis as like a 10-year-old, right? Right. So, So there was just no access to watching it live, which was part of it. Mm -hmm. And and as a kid, it was always Wimbledon because summer vacation was starting around that time. So you're just in a good mood to start with. And then there was a big tennis tournament too and on the lawns and the grass of the All England Club. But now I would say that, that the Aussie Open is actually my favorite slam. Really? Because after four months of no like, major tennis action uh, and no offense to other tournaments and the Davis Cup and the ATP Cup and, and all the other tournaments that have transpired since the, the U.S. Open, I'm just so hungry to have Grand Slam tennis back on TV, back happening where it, it matters. And, and again, like, love the smaller tournaments. But this is it. These are the four tournaments that mean the most to the players and, and mean to the, the most to, to the majority of people watching as well. So I'm, uh, I'm really high on the Aussie Open just to get back to watching this kind of, of tennis.
0: Well, that's fair. I, I want to clarify uh, and say I am high on every Grand Slam. I love every single Grand Slam out you're of a all fence, of the You're four. a fence sitter, Lewis. <laughs> uh, but I will be honest. Probably if I were ranking the four of them least favorite, I think still would be the Australian Open simply for the virtue of the time difference, uh, which is is not something we can change. You know, that that's the reality of uh, where we are in the world and where Melbourne, Australia is in the world that I, I wouldn't ideally want to be watching a, a Grand Slam final at 3.30 in the morning and setting my alarm for then. Uh, at the same time, uh, you, you touched on something that makes it certainly fantastic is it is the first grand slam of the season it's i feel like Uh, it's the buildup of hype as, you know, we have tennis back, we've returned to the sport, even though our breaks are very short. And I love that each year uh, we get into a Grand Slam calendar, like right off the bat. It's not like you have a couple months of sort of a hard court season and then a first Grand Slam. It happens really, really quickly. And I do like that. And it's one of those tournaments, I think, historically, where it wasn't, unfortunately, taken as seriously. If you, you look back to the 50s and 60s and even 70s, players sometimes skipped it. Opted not to go. Normally, you know, you'd only have sometimes top Australian players playing. But now, of course, it's bringing everyone in and has for the past, you know, better part of 30 years. Even in the 80s and 90s, there were tons of top players that were not regularly going.
1: I mean, if you look at the careers of uh, Jimmy Connors uh, throughout the 80s as he was winding it down, I don't think he played there very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Sampras and Agassi at times early in their careers. Agassiz skipped it for many, many years. And it's a shame because he ended up having some of the, the best results in his career later yep. when he was one of the veterans on tour, but still producing in Australia. I think he won three out of four or three out of five late in his career there. Imagine if a guy like that had been playing it earlier. He'd certainly have more than the eight slams that, that he ended up with. No kidding. Um, so, yeah, now that everyone's playing, I think certainly that's going to capture more people's attention than than back in the day, as you mentioned. And I kind of like the personal sacrifice we have to make to stay up late. (laughs) Like if you're a true tennis fan, you're going to stay up late or you're going to get up early and you're going to watch your favorite players, um, you know, getting out there and doing it. And, Even me, I got my little kids at home that keep me up at all hours, but I'm willing to do this. And uh, when they were born, my kids, by the way, it was perfect because they'd have to get up to be fed and changed and stuff like in the early hours of the day anyways. Mm -hmm. So I just bottle feed my kids as I was watching Aussie Open tennis and it made the whole experience, you know, actually uh, quite uh, enjoyable for me.
0: Oh, that's perfect. Uh, And of course now I think uh, in 2020 and over the past several years, it has been a different experience with the Australian Open, just how digitally connected we are. You can be on Twitter, at 4 a.m. and there are numerous tennis fans up with you maybe it's not 4 a.m. where they are but you have people on your feed discussing whatever match is happening which is great uh do you have a favorite one like a favorite final to look back on maybe i i have favorites for different reasons like
1: i've got my sentimental favorites that remind me of being a kid and just the the feeling of getting excited by tennis at a young age so for me um Actually, when Boris Becker won in 1996, which was his last slam... And at the time, he was 29 years old, which today doesn't seem like that old by tennis standards, but Boris Becker at 29 was just basically like hanging on for dear life, the later stages of his career. So when he grabbed that slam, that was kind of unexpected, and he played really well at that tournament. So that one was important, not because the match was like the most compelling match. I couldn't even tell you who he beat, but but just the fact that he got one last slam and someone that I really looked up to when I was young. In terms of quality, I mean, Novak and Rafa in 2012 that went five sets was really good, and and Roger over Adal in 2017 for something even more recent on the men's side. And then on the women's side, I mean, I love Steffi Graf when I was growing up. So any of her four titles, I really enjoyed watching. Uh, Serena Venus in 2003, that was a competitive mm-hmm. one. And then more recently, Wozniacki's win over Halep, where it looked like Simona was actually going to capture it. But, you know, Caroline flipped the tables late in the stages of that one and finally caught, uh, you know, her one and likely only ever Grand Slam you couldn't help but be happy for her and I always like seeing someone like that who's persevered had
0: great moments but never been able to achieve the major so I picked that one on the women's side yeah certainly on the, on the women's side we've been treated to some great finals over the past few years actually even last year Osaka Kvitova was super compelling tough tight three sets uh, 2016 final I loved Serena was just coming off an incredible 2015 she beat Maria Sharapova in a very tight final there of course she's owned Sharapova historically but Sharapova was close in That one. And then Angelique Kerber, who kind of bursting on the scene, uh, winning her first Grand Slam, defeating Serena Williams in an epic three setter there that's memorable to me. Uh, another one that is memorable on the men's side is because I was kind of getting all of my friends into tennis at the time was 2009. Nadal's, uh, lone Australian, Australian Open, open title, which right? is surprising, uh, defeating Roger Federer. And he had an epic five setter against uh, Verdasco in the semis. But, uh, that's when I was uh, still living, uh, my university days and I live with five other guys and we were up at four in the morning and I, I told guys, guys, you got to watch this. These are two of the greatest. You woke up the whole house to watch (laughs) tennis. Exactly. And I was like, these are two of the greatest tennis players ever. You got to watch this final. And they loved it. Uh, So that's another memory for me.
1: It's funny how some of those finals and results bring you back to where you were in life at the time, too, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it just makes you remember what you were doing and what life stage you were at and how, you know, tennis has evolved for us over the years. I mean, for me, when I go watch live tennis, even if I'm not covering it as a member of the media, I have a hard time, like, clapping and cheering. It just, like, (laughs) goes against what's been ingrained in me the past 10 years years but i enjoy it on different levels and it's uh, it's just neat the evolution of it and i'll come back to the cheering fanatic in my uh, later years in life i'm sure and just whether i'm media or not just at that point you know what screw it i'm going to cheer if i want to I yeah guess.
0: certainly we're still uh, lovers of the sport always and and that's why we're so invested in it uh i guess just talking kind of in detail on the men's side and our picks are up tennis canada has published them And no real surprises, I guess, from either of us. Not really going against the grain. You're taking Novak Djokovic, as am I. Uh, Maybe you can give me your reasons why, and uh, possibly I'll just add on.
1: Are there any reasons not to? Right. I, mean, I mean, you'd be you'd have to be a little bit crazy or, or just going out on a limb to predict anyone else. Even if you're, And if you're going out on a limb, there's only so many people you're going to pick, right? I mean, Nadal, as you mentioned, hasn't won in over 10 years. Federer, uh, it's been a little while now since he's had a slam. Uh, yeah. Not to say that those two can't do it, and they're certainly number two and number three, uh, you know, potentially as, as favorites still. Uh, Daniel Medvedev, if you want to go a little off-board, because he's been playing so fantastic for the last six months. And if anyone looks like they're going to crack the big... Big three, well, I think he's the first in line behind them. But uh otherwise, yeah, Djokovic is just, you know, eight and no at the ATP Cup to open the season, seven Aussie open titles, one ahead of Federer. Uh y- you've written this down here for us to look over, but best hardcore player ever, question mark. But you know, hard to argue against that right now. And when he gets to the finals, if he makes it to the semis or the finals, he's winning this thing. Because every time he's made the finals in Melbourne, he's won. Every time he's made it to the semifinals, he's also progressed to win. So if he gets past the quarters, that's it. Game over. There's almost no chance of anyone taking it from him. Really? And he's got, <laughs> and he's got you know, a pretty solid draw. When you look at some of the big names, I think Novak's
0: got a, a good path to, uh, to get there as well. Yes, that's true. Well, it, just looking at historical hardcore numbers for Novak Djokovic, 580 wins, 110 losses, which is a, a win rate on that surface of just over 84 is, percent is simply spectacular. Uh, and another stat, which I find interesting, uh, is 790 and 36 after winning the first set. Uh, of matches in general. So if if you want to take this guy down, you got to throw the first punch. Absolutely. He does have a tricky first round. Uh, I, I don't think he could draw a trickier opponent for your first round match uh, than Jan Leonard Struff, someone who's just inside the top 40, someone who feels like they're almost good enough to maybe hold one of those 30 type seeds. Uh, but I'm not sure he's going to have enough game to really challenge Novak off the bat. That if he kind of cruises through that first week, uh, and, you know, escapes it unscathed and is feeling healthy. He is certainly the front runner. But what we saw at the U.S. Open, another hardcourt surface, his body actually gave him issues, and then he ran into a red-hot Stan Vavrinka and went down earlier.
1: Yeah, he's also not coming in, though, to this event, coming from some 250-level tournament or a Hotman Cup or something like that. He's coming in having played some great players. Yep. He's already played Nadal in a final of, uh, you know, well, I guess we're considering the ATP Cup a big tournament now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's coming in already with some top-level match play. Um, I, I don't see someone like Struff, you know, maybe if it had been under other circumstances where he's coming in with very little match play, but he's coming in
0: already having played with some grand slam type opponents. So, yeah, no, that's true. Uh, as for, you know, the, the remainder of the big three, big slam for Rafael Nadal in a sense that uh, he's at 19 grand slams, one behind Roger Federer. If, Nadal is able to pull this off when, uh, when his second Australian Open and do it 11 years after his first. Are, are we all talking about that sort of goat discussion again, do you think? Is that going to yeah. be what's Everybody's talking Twitter? about
1: goats except me, okay? I <laughs> want to put in my contract for the rest of this year that I will not have to talk about the goat debate okay, okay. Uh, anymore, only because... It can't be settled. It can't be settled. It's going to piss everybody off that listens or tweets us or whatever if we pick the wrong one, right? It's, uh, <laughs> you can't settle this. You may not ever be able to settle this, right? What if all three end up with, like, 20 slams? Could you imagine that? And then it's going to be like, till the day I die, I'm going to have to put up with who's the goat. You have to wait at the very least until I think they're retired and all the dust settles and see what they end up with. Uh, and that looks like we've still got a few years to go. Uh, Roger will likely go first, but Rafa and Novak, no no reason they can't play until they're 38, 39 either and still be very competitive. So it's just, I don't know if it's just redundant or circular or it's just like I can't add anything else to this. Certainly if he gets that, that slam to tie Roger, uh, I mean, that's... They're, they're equals in terms of their majors, but there's all the other intangibles and head-to-head records and, and the fact that Novak's not done either and very likely could catch them. So uh, all three are fantastic. The three of them, I will only say that they're three goats to me. And, um, and time will tell. But I'm not talking about GOATS for the rest of this year. Mark that down somewhere.
0: <laughs> Very bipartisan view. Uh, I'm impressed. I, I think the conversation, though, will be kind of reinvigorated if it does happen. And it was an interesting omission. I'll just bring up the fact that Roger Federer said uh, leading up to, to this Grand Slam that he does kind of anticipate Nadal and Djokovic can both pass him. And he says he's OK with it. I don't know if he mind is Mind games, not. Ben.
1: It's mind games. <laughs> he's just trying to get in their heads and plant that seed there of, oh, go. Well, hey, Roger says I'm going to do it, so I better do it now, you right, know. And right. hey, look, Roger Federer was a point away from winning Wimbledon twice last summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very much still in this debate and and in the in the present, not in the past tense. Yeah. Um, despite a little bit of slippage over the last year, or so um, so I think he might just be kind of you know playing it coy and uh and and trying to be uh, an underdog as much as a third seed and uh, and 20 times slam champion can be
0: yeah and i think he's uh doing that again by saying he feels his chances are relatively low at winning this thing. I don't really buy that. He's He's won it two out of the last three years. Uh, He he certainly has. He just had a huge win over Novak Djokovic not long ago at the World Tour Finals, which probably felt like a bit of a monkey off of his back because he's had Novak on the ropes over the past couple of years and not been able to finish a match and won like a clean straight sets match there. So I'm not underestimating Roger Federer here, but I I have noticed we don't really have any pundits or experts picking him. and I, I find those who are stepping outside of the realm of picking a Djokovic will throw their name towards Nadal or like a Medvedev or a Tsitsipas, which is uh, kind of curious to me.
1: You think it's partly to do with Federer's draw, which does look a little bit tricky. I mean, he's got 22 year old, uh, 31st seed potentially Hu- Hubert uh, hercatch in in round three. Yeah, who's been playing terrific this year. I mean, you put him down as your
0: um, dark horse. Your dark ho- horse pick, and and you did that because why? Because well, he uh, he looked fantastic at ATP Cup. I mean wins over Dominic team he crushed borna chorich who's a great young player went two and two and Did i really Sch- schwartzman too at the atp cup another yeah went over schwartzman which is a terrific win as well and i kind of took notice of him last year at wimbledon because he pushed novak Djokovic to four sets there and every set was very competitive and close like he had novak jokovic on the ropes and this kid is only 22 years old long wingspan pretty powerful forehand good serve He's, he's quick, too. He's kind of sneaky fast. And uh, if he gets his racket on the ball, it's going back in the court. So he poses a danger, I think, for anybody who's facing him early first week in this tournament. And Federer hasn't played yet this year, right? He doesn't have any match play under
1: his belt. So right. tough to get tested like that early on. And then potentially Shapovalov or Dimitrov in round four. Uh, he's got Djokovic in his hat for a potential semifinal if he makes it there. But... You know, it's his 21st career Aziopa main draw, which is incredible. And and how many players in their careers will be able to say that by the 21st time they play a slam, they're still in the top five contenders, right? Yeah,
0: no, that's uh, it's it's unbelievable. I, I think some of his staggering accomplishments we sometimes overlook is how many quarterfinals of Grand Slams has he been to? How many semifinals just even outside of the Grand Slam victories, uh, which should certainly be acknowledged uh, other contenders to win this slam, I, I have three other names I think can realistically do it. Dino Mevedev, he can do it. Dominic Thiem, I'm not sure he's ready, but I I think he could. And Stefano Tsitsipas, would you agree with those three?
1: Yeah, when I look at those three names, I mean, before the draw came out, I would have agreed with them, yes. And then you look at the draw, and that obviously is going to change some things. So, for example, uh, you know, Thiem is likely going to have to face the unseeded but very dangerous Kevin Anderson in round two well team has a two and seven head to head in his career against kevin so that's not an easy one for him to get through um, Medvedev gets potentially Vavrinka in round four, who he's beaten twice in two meetings, including their U.S. Open quarterfinal match. So I like I like Medvedev the most of those three, uh, and also because of his, his his incredible play and just that he stepped it up and taken it to another level. Yep. Uh C.C. Paz, it's hard to tell with him. He sometimes looks invincible, and other times he talks as if he doesn't believe he can beat certain players. So you know he might get Milos uh, in a first career matchup between those two. Uh, and then Roberto Bautista Gu is also in his sort of section, which is not an an easy match. So I I would have liked him more before I saw the draw and less what I saw who was in front of him, I
0: guess. Yeah, that's fair. And uh, Bautista Gu played really, really well at ATP Cup too. I mean, a couple easier matches, but he went undefeated in singles there. He's always a tough out. Uh, And yeah, Dominic team. I don't know that everybody is fully sold on his ability to win a Grand Slam, maybe on a hard court, uh, but maybe this is an opportunity for him to to prove me wrong. Uh, we went over my dark horse being Hubert Hurkacz from Poland. I think he has a great chance and could give Roger Federer fits if they do meet in the third round. Uh, you're taking Andre Rublev. It's tough picking dark horses, though, eh? It is. Because, first of
1: all, what does that even mean? You know, like, some people could put a guy like Zverev as a dark horse, <laughs> and on one hand, you, you might be, you know, tend to agree – And on the other, you might say, well, that's ridiculous. He's in the top 10. That's not what a dark horse is, right? So I try and push it a little bit further out there. But yeah, Rublev has really started the year with a bang with two tournaments out of the gate Mm. um, and and gives Russia that, you know, another fantastic player. You've got Medvedev and and Hachanov, who are 23. Rublev, who's 22. He finished last year strong as well with a title in Moscow. And he went undefeated in his singles matches in the Davis Cup. So here's a kid who looks like he's starting to figure it out. The funny thing is the best result he's had at a slam, his one quarter final was back in 2017 at the U S open. And uh, he hasn't been able to build on that since, but it looks like now uh, things are clicking for him. So I, uh, I picked him as my dark horse even before he won this, this most recent event. Um, But, uh, but that's who I'm going with. And, um, and yours, her catch also a very solid pick. And I, someone I could see, Pushing Federer and potentially, yeah, taking him down early, depending on his level of readiness.
0: Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see there. I, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that matchup happens. We always kind of look ahead on the draw and sort of potential matchups. And I was penciling in some possibilities. This one. Probably the most intriguing to me. It, happen, it happened at Wimbledon as well. Uh, round of 16, potential clash between between Rafael Nadal and Nick Kyrgios in Australia, I think would be fantastic. Fireworks. Yeah. Fireworks.
1: Those two are not exactly like buddies who go no. out after their matches, <laughs> right? Or practice no, together, right? They
0: certainly are not. So I would love to see that match. Felix Oje-Aliassime, who's uh, coming off a nice event, and he uh, fell victim, actually, to Andre Rublev just this past week in Adelaide. Very close three-set match. I thought he was kind of finding his singles game again. If he gets through his first couple matches, potential showdown with the showman himself, the entertainer, Guile Mofis. And Mofis actually played a great match against Shapovalov, if we remember, at the U.S. Open. I I think if him and OJ Eliasim are clashing, that's going minimum four sets. So I would love to see that encounter couple others I just penciled in. Uh, Stan Favrinka, John Isner would be interesting. Kind of the explosive server against a great shot maker. Rublev Goffin, there's a tricky one for your dark horse pick. And uh, Federer Shapovalov is also a possibility. And it's fun on the men's side because I think you can
1: see them coming together. And I think many of them will come together. Whereas when I look at the women's draw, you know, I usually like to pencil in like quarter finalists or at least round of 16 the women's draw i'm getting hung up on like the second round i'm like well yeah. i have no idea what's going on here so it's a coin toss like yeah you're, you're looking at the women's and i know we're going to transition to that shortly but you look at the women's draw in the third rounds and how many of those would make finals that i would absolutely want to be at
0: mm-hmm. no i know uh it's certainly uh That kind of makes it a little more interesting in a way to have these second round matches, which are like great, great clashes between terrific players, players with like top 15, top 20 potential already meeting so early in events is always exciting. But it
1: makes us look stupid when we we're forced to make picks, you know, like someone (laughs) tweeted me the other day and asked if I wanted to be in some sort of media, uh, you know, pool for the Aussie Open or whatever. And I'm like, no, hell no. Like,
0: why would I want (laughs) to put myself out there and embarrass embarrass myself? myself And, you know, all those. No, no, thank you. We do uh we do still love uh looking at the draws and breaking it down though. And uh we did give sort of Cinderella picks as well to Tennis Canada, which we'll explain. Um mine was Stan Vavrinka and I wanna clarify for anybody reading an article thinking uh, I'm choosing him as a breakthrough player. I'm aware that he's a three-time Grand Slam champion. Uh, I still feel that he kind of flies under the radar at this point of his career when he gets to Grand Slams. He played well at the U.S. Open before falling to Daniil Medvedev. Uh, he'll get his event started against Damir Zumer, which I think he can win comfortably. And uh, if he can get past that John Isner showdown, He's likely set for a rematch with Daniil Medvedev in the fourth round, and I, I think he will be more ready for what Medvedev can bring to the table. Certainly, Daniil would be the favorite there, but Stan Favrenka is a proven, like, big match player, and I think he elevates his game in a best-of-five format. And he took a little
1: longer to get back to his uh, sort of base level after his injury a couple of years yes, ago. It definitely. wasn't the Roger Federer-type return to the right. tour, um, which maybe some people were hoping for or, or expecting potentially. But I think he's shown growth and and progress in the last year or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, yeah, that would qualify as a Cinderella story. Someone that had won slams in the past, faced injury adversity, taken some time to get back to their level and and get up in the rankings to to get more favorable draws. And I think absolutely he'd qualify. I've uh, gone on the Canadian path for mine which is Vashik Pospisil, and that doesn't mean I see him going all the way, but I do see him having a little bit of a revival and maybe having a good uh, good event where he could potentially get towards a, a second week, depending on how matches go. He's been 24-7 and seven since the U.S. Open. He's playing with so much confidence, beating a lot of top players as well, Schwarzman, Fanini, hatchinov at the U.S. Open, of course, and, uh, and I think we're due to see him continue that growth and, and push for that ranking to get higher. And he's believing in himself, he's trusting his body, he's not worrying about his health anymore and he's just letting the tennis uh, do the talking and it's the the best tennis we've seen from him potentially in his career the last uh, couple of months of 2019 and, and and certainly Davis Cup, how he handled that number two singles uh, spot for Canada, which was absolutely I mean he kept Felix Oje Elaliasim on the bench for most of that tournament with his stellar play.
0: Yeah, because he was playing too well, and I think he really has a trusting uh, coaching partnership with uh, the veteran Frank Dancevic, who, of course, leads that Davis Cup team. He has a possible second-round showdown with Gaël Monfils; That would be fun as well. Uh, and it, I guess we're kind of trying to figure out what his ceiling can be again. We've seen him get to the top 25. Is that feasible for him to do so again? And with the way his serve and his forehand is clicking, I, I certainly think top 50 is is coming sooner rather than later and from there you can build upon that uh granted the the top 30 of men's tennis is really really strong right now
1: yeah i feel like when he was top 25 i felt like he was kind of overachieving at the time right um but but the way he played to close out the year many tennis experts were saying he was looking like a top 20 top 30 type player so can he sustain that can he continue to play at that level will the body Uh, hold up, you know, uh, the conditioning. I know there were some best of five matches where he got tired out in the heat and his body didn't respond so well to that. So all those things are are unknowns. We'll see how they unfold. But uh, you're right. The top 30 is pretty deep right now, but he's certainly playing like a
0: top 50 guy. Yes, absolutely. Easily playing like a top 50 guy right now. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. We'll transition to the women's side. And I think the biggest storyline here is uh, Serena Williams chasing Grand Slam number 24 and closing in on that record set by Margaret Court, who is, uh, of course, uh, a polarizing figure in Australia. It, it's kind of a shame because she, uh, she's not really the well-liked figure. I think a lot of people want to see Serena, Serena Williams break that record. Uh, but how big it, how big was it for her to just post a title win again? first time ever post-pregnancy winning Auckland. And how, how does that bode for her confidence? Yeah, first of
1: all, Margaret Court, I can't wait to stop talking. I don't want to talk about goats and I don't want to talk about Margaret Court yeah. anymore because, I mean, yeah, polarizing kind of gives the impression that like people are divided and I suppose some are, but I would say, you know, in 2020, more people are on the side of, you treat people equally. The, the sensible folks know, are not divided. Right, regardless of right. race and gender and sexual orientation and all those things. And it's like, you know what? I just can't handle people that speak out just hatefully against other people. because of their differences. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Margaret Court, they are not celebrating her 50th anniversary of winning all four slams, but they say they are recognizing it. Yes. Well, you don't even have to do that, you know? You don't have to have someone's name up on a stadium just because they were great tennis players, if they're not good role models and good people, and they speak out in ways that, uh, you know, are, are painting many players on your professional associations in a negative light. So yeah. to me, that, that speaks louder. Take her name off that arena. When you've got Billie Jean King and Martina Navratilova and others saying, take that name down, uh, come on. Yes, she, she achieved those things in tennis, but the way she speaks you, it's not the kind of name and the image that you should have up there. So I'm looking forward to Serena tying and hopefully eventually beating the record, Um, not just because I enjoy watching Serena Williams, but just so we can stop talking about Margaret
0: Court. (laughs) I agree.
1: But what you asked me is, you know, at the moment, she's coming in with confidence. I I don't care the field that she had to beat in, um, was it what, Auckland? Yes, ASB Classic. I get Auckland and Adelaide mixed, just the A's and it's, you know, the late nights and (laughs) I'm getting older. But um, yeah, she looked good. She beat the player she had to beat. And just getting over that hurdle, that mental hurdle of not having won a title since she's been back on tour, uh, despite the, the you know, the, the prize money was lower and the, the competition was not as intense as some of the other warm-up tournaments, just for her to get back to feeling what it's like to win again. And I think that was the biggest thing to take away from that. I mean, she's made four of seven slam finals since she's come back on the tour. And the first year back, I didn't expect her to win any. So just making two finals was surprising to me. She played Kerber at Wimbledon that year, and you could tell she was nervous. She played Osaka at the U.S. Open, and maybe it was the nerves that made her act you know, the way that she did and get distracted by the, you know, the, the off, you know, or outside of the points, but just the, the arguments with the umpire and whatnot yeah. got her distracted. I mean, she was up 3-1 in the second set there, but again, got involved in more controversy and just got her off track. Then I thought, okay, next year, 2019, she's surely going to win one this year. And again, she makes Wimbledon final. And uh, boy, Simona Halep was just in Match of her life. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And then the uh, U.S. Open, again, Bianca was playing so well. Serena had her chance in the second where it looked like things were turning as Bianca's blocking her ears and the fans are getting behind Serena. But, uh, but, yeah, the Canadian obviously put her foot down and and closed that one out, so it took two players who were playing like lights out tennis really to to defeat her um, But, I think in two thousand and twenty i've got a strong feeling that she 's going to come away with a slam this year, and i I feel like she almost has to this year because I think if she goes another year of not winning a slam like how, how much longer does she continue how much longer does she have the motivation and the fire um you know amongst other other competing factors like age uh like family if she wants to have a second child I yeah. mean I, I'd say it's you know slim to none that she could have a second child and come back at the age of 40 or 41 so um I think it's really important for her to do it now and uh the way she's coming out of the gate to start looks good looks hungry she's got a tournament under her belt and that's going to spur her on I think even further um That being said, when you look at her draw, not easy it's not going to be
0: easy for her I think uh, I, I do believe she's going to comfortably get through her first couple of matches and and then where it gets difficult is if you have a young kind of upstart Diana Yastrzemska. Yastrzemska. that's the name I'm looking at who could really uh, pose some problems potentially if, if they do meet in the fourth round uh, Johanna Conta is also there although she might have a couple tricky matches early Caroline Wozniacki also in that bracket I, I don't think we're really counting strongly on her chances to really make a run here? No, it'd be nice
1: if she did. That'd be a cool way to go out, right? But I don't see it happening. Yastremska, holy smokes, eh? Uh, The tournament she's just been in, making the finals in Adelaide before she got beat by Barty. She beat Sabalenka, Mm -hmm. Vekic, and, I mean, Kerber had to retire in the second set, but still... Those are
0: three really big players for her to uh, to take down. Yeah, impressive straight sets wins. Uh, I I really thought Sabalenka was going to win that match, so I was very impressed when Yastremska delivered the way that she did. And you know she basically blew Kerber off the court be- uh, before Kerber uh, did have to retire with the injury and probably kind of taking care of her body before this Australian Open. So she could certainly pose a major uh, danger for Serena Williams and her chances. One thing that is helping her, and this isn't Canadian bias speaking, that Bianca Andreescu is not here that that is a huge factor in all of this because if we're breaking down the very top contenders uh, I think on this surface and just on the WTA of who can win grand slams right now the three names I think I'm looking at are Serena Williams Naomi Osaka Bianca Andreescu maybe fourth Simona Halep yeah, I don't know if I'd put Halep
1: there right now. I watched some of her match against Sabalenka the other night, and Sabalenka really took it to her. That's true. Uh, and dominated that one. I should say um, Barty
0: as well, by the way.
1: Halep, Halep even you know, wasn't really having fits from what I saw in the second set. It was almost like she was resigned to the fact that there was no way she was going to be able to top the power of Sabalenka in mm-hmm. that match. She was just cracking her forehand. It was really something to watch, and I think it makes Sabalenka, if she's playing like that, a big, big time, a contender here in in Australia. Yep. Um, but uh, to get back to what you're saying, yeah, Serena Osaka, and I would have put Andrescu there if she was uh, healthy, and uh, it's unfortunate that she isn't. But if this is what she's got to do to sustain the rest of the season, hopefully, and uh, and 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 be around for for you know most of the tournaments that we'd like to see her in then so be it. You know, we can wait out the first part of the season. She's clearly learned from a year ago what happens when you rush it and come back too soon, even though you're hungry and you want to get out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So, no, take your time, and let's hopefully get to see you, uh, you know, complete the rest of the season on your own terms.
0: Yes, that is the hope. And I I know you have picked Serena Williams uh, to win this Grand Slam, number 24, and she has won seven of them in Australia, so it's a comfortable spot for her. I'm taking Naomi Osaka. I'm already concerned about that first round match against Bozkova, who's already quite a tricky player. Yeah, that, she looked good in Toronto last summer. She did. She looked very impressive. But Osaka, I think, has hit another gear uh, since last year's U.S. Open. You look at the way she's been playing. She's won 14 of 15 matches. Uh, her stretch uh, through the the Asian hardcourt swing at uh, the tail end of last year was fantastic. She won the Japan Open, not dropping a set there. Uh, some big wins at the China Open, beating Barty in the final there. No, she, I, she didn't even lose after the U.S. Open. I mean, she had to withdraw from the WTA finals after right. her first so,
1: round win. So uh, her, only,
0: her only loss, actually, has been semifinals of Brisbane to Pliskova, and then that's that's another name that I think people are talking about. Can this be her breakthrough? Because she is definitely playing some great tennis right now.
1: Yeah, no, agreed. I've got no argument against your Osaka pick, even though I'm leaning towards Serena on a, on a gut feeling here. Uh, you will have to explain your dark horse, horse pick to me, though, um, just <laughs> sure. because I'm not as familiar with her.
0: Uh, but you seem pretty keen on uh, Katerina Alexandrova. Yeah, Katerina Alexandrova. Well, she started her season, uh, you know, as strong as you possibly could. She won the Shenzhen Open uh, with a couple nice wins there. Not that it was as challenging a draw as what you're going to get in a Grand Slam, but meeting, beating beating uh, Wang Shuang in three sets, beat Muguruza there, beat Sinjakova, uh Ribikina in the finals. And I watched her play actually at Rogers Cup up close against Serena Williams. Serena beat her there 7-5, 6-4. But it was a match where Alexandrova actually had a first set lead, and I felt like she kind of you know, wilted under the pressure a little bit, but she has a terrific return game, very strong 2 back backhand, and she's just like a young, fiery player. Well, she's 25 now, but uh, I, I think she's sort of coming into her own and just another one of these players who's ready to rise in the top 20 and maybe top 15. She should be kind of brewing with confidence as she arrives here. Right on. Um, I did catch some of that Serena match in Toronto last summer, and
1: what stuck out to me more so than Alexandrova actually was how Serena really didn't look to be playing her best for the first couple of rounds. Well, that's fair. It was against Osaka where Serena really took it yes, up a notch in, for in sure. Toronto, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's true.
1: Um, I'm, I'm going with Marketa Vondrazova as my dark horse on the women's side. She's into the top 20. Uh, she's only 20 years old uh, herself, I believe, right now. And um, I, I picked her as my dark horse before I saw the draw, but still, uh, I like what she brings the lefty and she's uh, healed up from her wrist injury from from last year but french open final a year ago so she's been deep in a slam already yeah. she's got that confidence that she can do that uh, she has missed a lot of time with injury but made the quarters in adelaide and had a couple of very decisive wins before before falling ashley barty she even double bageled um uh gosh the name's uh, escaping me right now but double bageled uh, one of her opponents in the early rounds there and last year, if you look at her hard court results, I mean quarterfinals in Indian Wells and Miami and and tested opponents in, in both of her losses there. So she's my pick. I hope she's healthy enough to, to give it a go this year and someone I'm just excited to sort of watch uh, as she grows into her career. There's so many young players on the WTA Tour, though, to get excited about. Anisimova, uh, what's Coco Goff going to do this year? Still going to be limited by the number of tournaments she can play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Bianca when she's back at it, too.
0: Yeah, certainly. And uh, a couple other young players I'll be watching. Sophia Cannon, another name just to mention. And I penciled in some some potential matchups that we could see. Uh, not super later rounds, but pos- possible round of 60 matchups. Uh, one being my dark horse, Alexandrovo, uh, could face Petra Kvitova. I think that would be a great match. Naomi Osaka versus Sophia Kennan, I think would be a lot of fun if we get that in the round of 16. Simona Halep and Danielle Collins, if you'll remember the the college product, was in the semifinals here last year, and she's playing some awesome tennis at the start of the season right now. Oh, she just absolutely destroyed some opponents early this year. Like Svitolina took a real beating on the court yep.
1: in that matchup. Mm-hmm. And Collins, man, when it's clicking the firepower and the, you know, when she's
0: letting it fly, look out. I had forgotten she made the semis at last year's Aussie Open. Yeah, it, was, it was a stunning run. Right? Uh, and Yeah, you look at some of these wins. I mean, she beat Bencic 3-1. She beat Kennan 3-1 just uh, the other week at Adelaide before falling to, to Barty, and that was a close three-set match. So she's playing fantastic tennis right now. Uh, Vondrousova, another potential matchup with uh, Karolina Pliskova in the fourth round, I think would be a lot of fun. I hate that there's so many
1: matches that I'm going to want to watch, which means I'm going to be like a total zombie for the next <laughs> two weeks of my life, you yep. know?
0: Yeah. Um, But, you know, such are the sacrifices that you make for the sport you love. Such are, uh, especially when it's happening in Melbourne, Australia. We'll go over just the Canadian matchups. Denis Shapovalov, we both think he can uh, definitely make a run here with the form we've seen from him. And he will start his campaign against Martin Fuksevich in the first round. Milos Raonic getting going. He is seeded. We talked about how he was losing his seed, but we had a late withdrawal from Alex Diemenauer. That gave Milos Raonic the 32nd seed. And he will play a tricky young, not not young player, tricky small player, Radu Albot uh, from Mold- Moldova. That's a bit of a tricky first round match. Vashik Pospisil playing the veteran veteran, Ivo Karlovich, to get started. And Felix Oje-Aliasim against Ernest Gulbis, who actually qualified for this event.
1: Yeah, these are interesting matchups, right? Like, and if we just work backwards from what you just said, Gulbis uh, has been around, it seems like forever, kind of yeah. disappeared from the radar, but but back again and lots of veteran experience there that will not be an easy one for felix uh, Vashik gets, you know, he's going to have to be facing those those bombs from Dr. Evo, who's still playing tennis at the age of, like, 47 or whatever he is. <laughs> well, he's not that old, okay. No, but, I think but 43. He, but he is. I mean, that's crazy yeah, if that's the case, right? I don't know. He makes me think of, like, Zdeno Chera in a hockey parallel, you know, yeah. like big, tall guys that are just going to be tough to We're face. Sorry, he's
0: 40 years old. He's yeah, 40.
1: he could play until he's, you know, like almost 50 just with that serve. If he can keep that serve going, that's going to be something that's going to get him so many free points, even at that age. Yep. Um, Raunic, a tricky start, and who knows what to expect from Milos. Like, I honestly have no idea what we're going to get from him, but I'll be shocked if it matches his output in Melbourne from a year ago, unfortunately. And then Dennis Shapovalov, the, the one Canadian who's been playing the best on the men's side, has a really tough draw from Fukuvic to potentially Yannick Sinner in round two, who won the next gen uh cup yeah, at the end of the year. Great. Uh, Dimitrov in round three, potentially Federer in round four. Oh my goodness, Dennis yeah, could have had very it very, very challenging. Actually, uh,
0: I will say, Fuksovich has not been playing even anywhere close to his best, probably for the better half of six months. So he's kind of at a down point right now. So hopefully, so Shapovalov so, can get.
1: So he's got one match that might not be a. Yeah, a, that yeah. that
0: is the hope. I think the way Shapovalov is playing, if he can impose his game pretty early on Fuksovich, maybe that can be a nice straight sets win. And Yannick Sinner, fantastic young talent, but he's still quite quite inexperienced at this level in terms of grand slam matches so i'm curious to see how he responds to that um sometimes they don't know any better you know what i mean sometimes they <laughs> don't realize true. they're
1: not supposed to go out there
0: and yeah, you know and right. they just it just happens yeah you're right uh just onto the women's side in singles the lone representative Layla annie fernandez is 17 years old for four months Tremendous accomplishment for her to already be already be qualifying for a Grand Slam. That's incredible,
1: and I gotta say, it's it's unfortunate and nothing against Leila. It's unfortunate she's the only Canadian female we have in singles. Yes, but it amazes me that the one Canadian we have is a seventeen-year-old.
0: Yeah, it's it's really unbelievable. It
1: bodes so well for her. I mean, fantastic for her, and she's a sweetheart. We've had her on, you know, several times before. Always great to talk to, and just such a great attitude but yeah genie didn't quite make it falling in the last round of qualifying She's close um, you know, and who are the other one? I mean, Francoise Abanda doesn't typically like to travel to Australia at the start of the season. She might still be dealing with lingering shoulder issues that she had at the end of 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, who else? Catherine Sebov likely wouldn't have made it into qualifying. Yeah, she was the there.
0: We haven't seen Rebecca Marino on the tennis court for a while. It's quiet uh, on the women's side is. with our
1: women, with the exception of Bianca when she's playing. Yes. Gabby in doubles. Um, and, and Lila Annie, who's making inroads and is, uh, Well, she's going to be inside the top 200 in in no time, if not at the end of this tournament, just by by qualifying, I would imagine. Maybe she's so close.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And uh, she'll begin her campaign against uh, American Lauren Davis, who's 65th in the world right now. So that'll be an interesting matchup.
1: And Lauren Davis, who holds the record for the most number of games in, I think, at the Aussie Open with 48 from her 15 to 13 third set defeat to Simona Halep. Oh, I remember that one. Which yeah. was that last year, or two years ago? I think maybe two years ago now. I think now. it was two years ago. Uh, either way, she's got experience in in tough matches in Melbourne, and that is not going to be uh, an easy opponent for Leila Annie. But no one's going to be easy when you get into a slam and you're 17 years old. I think it's the experience, regardless of what happens. Good for her for qualifying for yeah. the first time in a pro tournament. Uh, she's less than a year removed from winning a junior Grand Slam title. And now here she is, you know, one of the 128 women playing uh, the first Slam of the year at the pro level. So that is uh, is very impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's certainly incredible. And Gabriela Dabrowski, of course, our doubles specialist on the women's side. We'll see that new partnership with French Open champion Yelena Ostapenko, who I've pointed out is a good doubles player in her own right. And, and Gabby, sorry, Gabby started the year pretty good in dubs, eh? making the finals
1: in Adelaide. Yes. And, and you know who beat her in the finals? Her former doubles her partner, fir- former <laughs> partner. I mean, that's juicy. That's you know, um, and it was uh, it was a fairly close one, if I recall. It was, um, but uh, yeah, good for Gabby to make a final off the bat with someone she'd never played tennis with before in doubles in uh, Daria Jurek. Um, and sometimes, you know, when you get together with someone and, and off you go, it's it's amazing what kind of results you can have mm-hmm. uh, despite no previous chemistry or, or history. And and now she's getting back together with a player, as you mentioned, Ostapenko, who is a good doubles player. Not sure everyone realizes that. And someone that Gabby's
0: played with and had success with in the past, too. So. Yeah, we'll see how that uh, partnership works. Obviously, it's in its early stages, but uh, that team is seated sixth. And uh, Vashka Pospisil also playing doubles. We know how great a doubles player he is. And he is playing with my dark horse pick, Hubert Hercatch. So we'll see how that partnership uh comes to fruition and uh you will see how they fare they open their draw tuesday first round match in men's doubles on that side i know before we go uh we do have a signed ball to give off to our listeners yes signed by ben and myself oh no sorry that's for another that's (laughs) that's for a future giveaway
1: no one's gonna want that uh no no, we've got a signed tennis ball from uh, caroline wozniacki Mm -hmm. who is playing in her last professional tournament uh, who knows? Maybe she'll come back when she's you know in her later thirties, like a Kim Clijsters or something. But for all intents and purposes, looks like her last tournament, going out where she won the uh, one Grand Slam of her career two years ago. We've got this ball signed from the Rogers Cup, courtesy of Tennis Canada, and we will give that away to uh, one of our listeners. So uh, if you want to enter for this draw, retweet the episode, please, and maybe share your favorite memory from Caroline's career, and we will let you know next week on
0: our Midway Aussie Open uh, show who the uh, winner is perfect uh, so we look forward to uh, giving that ball away to one of our listeners thank you so much for listening to match point canada we will again check in mid tournament at the australian open our first grand slam of the season